We have talked for uh, weeks now, and we'll continue to talk for weeks more about being a disciple and follower of Jesus. And we talked about what that means really in the beginning, this call, that Jesus calls us to follow him, not to say a prayer, though a prayer can be part of it. Many of us, we established our relationship with God when we said the sinner's prayer, maybe. Uh, after a service, when somebody repeated it and we repeated after them, my mom recently sent me a little track that someone had given me at some point. And on the back, it, after it explained, I think, you know, the way to God and that I was a sinner and all these things for a child, on the back, it had a little prayer and I signed it and dated it. And it was one of those times when I, even not knowing completely what I was doing, I gave my life to Jesus. And he's so gracious to work with us through all of those things. Many of us have those experiences. Some of the things we say, please do not discount those times that you've had with God. They're very meaningful. Some of you then were baptized. Uh, you know, a few weeks back, we baptized 16 people right out here uh, in the tub, and it was awesome. Uh, many of you, it was your first time. It was your, you know, kind of uh, telling the world that, this is who I follow, Jesus. This is what I believe about him. And remember we said about baptism that it's really a proclamation of the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and that same for you. That we are all sinners and our sins were buried and taken care of by Jesus and we've been risen to new life. We're new people, the Bible declares. So baptism is not just a dunking in a thing of water. It's a declaration of who God is, what he's done for us, and what you've decided to do. It's a beautiful thing. And I think uh, that we should always be considerate of our experiences with that and also celebrate those that uh, have done it and are going to do it. I pray that we continue to have many baptisms here because we see people surrendering their life to Jesus, deciding to follow him, and they have counted the cost. We talked about that. So there's a cost. It's not in dollars. It's not just with some of your stuff. The Bible teaches us that it is all of your life. I think a lot of times, even my own reflection on my life, we have turned following Christ into following him the way we want to follow him, not the way he declares in his word. And so the Bible tells us very clearly that it costs you everything. You want to gain your life, he says, to give it all to me. There's no options there. Now, we may struggle with that. We all do. I think we're in a process of sanctification. We're getting closer to God. We're learning more. We're growing through success and failure. God is graceful and merciful to us through it all. So we struggle with it. We're not perfect people. Only he is perfect. It's through him that our righteousness is declared and that we are seen as children of God, not because of what we've done, because of what he has done for us. So we are in this process, you know, but we do have to count that cost. Just like a builder counts the cost when he's going to build something, we count the cost and say, is this what I want to do? And God honors that. If you're here today and you have not done that, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, you've not really considered the cost, or you have and you've said, it's not for me right now, listen, it's all right. I'm glad you're here. Please don't run away. Things will be hard for you to hear. They're worth dialoguing about, but please do not run away. God loves you. God desires to have a relationship with you, and we want to journey with you through this time. Don't run off. We're not creating a club here. 
We're creating a community of people, but it's hard. And it includes your questions. Some of you, you're figuring stuff out. You're not sure about God. You don't understand some things anymore. You're questioning. You doubt. Hey, we're going to talk a little bit today that with obedience and trust, hey, there's, there's doubt as well. The disciples, these followers that Jesus called out, man, they had to work through that. It's worth working through. It's worth talking about. But you got to count the cost. It's a big deal. And so we look now at character, and we talked about love last week. Brent shared with us concerning love and some aspects of being a follower of Jesus and what does it look like to love others and how much that love has impacted us. We love others because Christ first loved us. I am not capable of loving apart from him, not the way he says I need to. I'm selfish. I want my own way. I'm not the best listener at times, and it's not an excuse to not get better at that. It's just true. I need him constantly to speak to me, challenge me, work through any open, you know, nook and cranny that I give him into my life and come into those places where I need him. And we'll talk a little bit about that today because we said a couple weeks ago that we need to be people of obedience. Many places in the Bible, from beginning to end, talk about obeying God, how important that is. It's not an option. Obedience is important. But a lot of us have turned obedience into pleasing God just for the sake of him maybe liking us more or gaining salvation. And that's not what we're talking about when we talk about obedience. We, we declared towards the end of our talk a couple weeks ago that obedience is really this, it's, we could say it this way, a love relationship with God. It's walking in relationship with him. And out of that, as we learn about him, we come to know him more, trust him, and then obey him out of this love relationship. So even this little, it's, it's maybe imperfect in some ways, but think about this with me, this little, you know, these two things equal this. See, knowing God, and when I talk about knowing God, here's what I'm talking about. So if you're going to write a note or think about this with me, knowing God is just not knowledge of God. It's knowing who he is. It's knowing what he's done for us and how he feels about us. So we know God, we begin to love God because I know who he is, his character, his nature, what he's like. I begin to know what he does, how he interacts with people, how he's worked through his word. I begin to know about his character and nature when it comes to mercy and grace and love. I know him that way. It's more of a relationship about knowing God. And then that knowing turns into really loving and trusting. Trusting God is as I begin to know him, I trust the one I know even when things are uncertain, when I don't have complete clarity. And trusting God says a little bit about me. So knowing God is knowing who he is, what he does, and knowing and trusting have to do with me now as well. Knowing him, I'm trusting him, and I'm knowing myself a little bit better. I need to know where I need to trust him more, where he needs to come into my life more. And so when I know him that way, these things about him, 
when I begin to trust him then because I know him and begin to know myself and ask and invite him into those places where I need him more, that's where obeying God comes from. Many of us flip it around and we go, I got to obey God and then I'll get to know him and trust him. And a lot of us put obedience to approval and acceptance. So your week could be filled with one minute, God loves you, you believe it, because you read a whole bunch, prayed a whole bunch, served a whole bunch, went to church a whole bunch. And so you expect then that he must love you more this week. Obedience gets flipped around. What if... We just declared, even now, wherever you are at, just get to know God. Really, I encourage you, get to know him. We'll bring that up in just a little bit, and that's why we're going through this series. It's revealing a little bit more of God to us, even us to us. We're finding out more things about ourselves. I'm discovering, wow, I don't love like I should. I don't obey like I should. There are places where I don't know God or allow him in like I should. We want that. I want to know who he is. I want us to learn what he does. And I want to know even more my identity that I find in him, how he feels about us. Trusting God when we do this begins to say that he is trustworthy. So one of the things I'll challenge you with at the end is reflect back on your life, those of you that follow Jesus. One of the things that you can do is reflect back and think about the times where despite the circumstances, God was trustworthy. He showed up. He helped you out. He did not abandon you. Write those things down. Reflect on them. Meditate on them for a little bit. And out of these things, it's going to reveal more of who I am. And I think then obeying will flow out of this relationship, this love relationship that we have with him. And this is where I begin to release control to him, out of those things. So if there is one thing that's super important right now is get to know the God of his word. Not what other men and women think, not what Facebook tells you, or the latest teacher says, start right with his word. If you have questions, we can go to other sources and look at other things. We can talk it through, but let's get to know God. Let's discover his love for us. Even Jesus' invitation, think about this with me. When he says, come follow me, I think really for the disciples, it's an invitation that says, come get to know me. They don't really know him yet. He doesn't say, declare this prayer. He does ask them to count the cost. They do know a little bit, but they don't know everything. So maybe the invitation to someone here today is, just, I invite you, come get to know me. Come come discover who I am, how I feel about you, what I do. Come fall in love with me. The invitation is for each one of us today. John 14, 15, we said this a couple weeks ago. If you love me, you will obey what I command. It's not a hateful, hard thing. It's a loving thing. 
If you love me, you will obey what I command. If you don't, then you won't obey him. That's pretty obvious, right? You'll do whatever you want to do. If we don't do it this way, then obedience without this is just some routine religion or it's just mere talk. And so may it come out of a love relationship. May, as we begin to think more about God and discover who he is, I pray for each one of us right now that we may be open to where maybe our thinking about him and ourselves needs to be redirected or corrected in some way. Uh, Dallas Willard said this concerning trust and obey. Maybe that old hymn comes up for you. You're singing it in your mind right now, huh? Trust and obey, trust and obey, you know that one? We're not going to sing it, but you'll think about it maybe if you know it today. Dallas Willard said the idea that you can trust Christ and not intend to obey him is an illusion. In fact, you can no more trust Jesus and not intend to obey him than you could trust your doctor or your auto mechanic and not intend to follow their advice. If you do not intend to follow their advice, you simply do not trust them. Wow, that's a big one for me because of medical issues and different things like that. And the question is, will I listen to what they tell me or will I just do whatever I want to do no matter what? Maybe that comes in relationships that we have. And that's probably a struggle for all of us to do what they say out of the love relationship we have. Some of us can reflect upon trust a little bit and we can think of a trust fall. Have you ever done that before? A trust fall and you're like, yeah, I got some real baggage with that because the people didn't catch me like they were supposed to, right? <laughs> Would you do that with someone you didn't trust? I mean, part of the whole idea is that you learn to trust somebody. But, you know, you might really question that a little bit if you were in some, like even in here right now, if we just said, listen, everybody break up into pairs with someone you don't know. <laughs> Not... It might be worse if it's like break up with your spouse or your, the kids with the kids. That might be worse because they probably do it on purpose. That's a whole different piece of baggage. But if I said right now break up into groups of two with people you don't know, it's a great church activity. We want to get to know each other a little better. Welcome. If you're brand new, thanks for coming. We do this every week. You'll never come back again probably. And then I said, listen, one of you is going to be the catcher, the other one's going to be the faller, if that's even a correct word, right? And uh, so the faller turns around and, and uh, you just, you don't, you just fall. And you expect that they will catch you. How many people would love to do that right now? Like two of you, like seriously, it's not going to happen, right? In fact, you might all leave and go, it's good. So far, we're done today, we're leaving, all right? Maybe it was, uh, you know, one of our elders, Scott, he works at a ropes course, and maybe it's when you get strapped up to one of those things and you got to jump off the platform, you know, and you got to expect and trust that the rope is going to hold and the person on the other end is going to catch you or whatever the case may be. Have you ever f uh, jumped out of an airplane? How many want to do that and you have it? Yeah. A couple of you have. Um, there's a big trust issue right there, right? A big thing going on, or maybe a bungee jump. I watched this bungee jump of like the highest bridge in the, I don't know, wherever it is. Yeah, I don't know about that, man. Every time I get into an airplane, there's a big trust that a giant metal tube is going to fly in the sky at 30,000 feet 
and the guys or gals up front know what they're doing, right? Or I trust them when they say in massive turbulence that everything will be all right. Just keep your seatbelt on. Like, that's really going to do anything for me, really, if we're going down. Or, hey, in your seat, there is a pad that you're sitting on, and if we go down in the water, just hang on to that thing. There's a lot of trust that we put in a lot of these things. We also look at it with people. And we begin to ask, are they trustworthy? And so again, one of the things that you will do this week, I hope, is to look back on your life and say, where has God proved himself trustworthy to me? And that'll enhance, increase your relationship with him. There's a great story that we want to look at. It's found, if you want to go there, to Matthew 14. Right before it, it starts in verse 22. Um, and in verse 22, uh, right before that, though, I should say, um, the story begins. But in, right, right before that, there's the story of G- Jesus, one of the stories, feeding the 5,000. Really more than that. It's 5,000 men. Then there's women and children. And he does it with just a handful of fish and bread, like not enough. And so the, the disciples, in this walk and journey with Jesus, this invitation to say, hey, come get to know me, they discover him in a great way. They literally watch as people are stuck on a hillside across the Sea of Galilee, they literally watch as just a few small items that Jesus surrenders to God and says, God, help, you know, bless this. And then he just passes it out. They, are, they experience it. They help pass it out. They are a part of this miracle that happens. And thousands and thousands of people are fed with a tiny amount of food. It's like if I handed just a loaf of bread or one tray of the crackers today, one one thing of the communion cups and just said, everybody has to drink and eat from this. That's it. Well, it would need to increase in some way. I mean, these things that they experienced were miraculous. So they discover him in a new way. He's the sustainer of life. He can provide. He can increase. I mean, they learn this in a very powerful way. And we come to then this part of the story and you wonder how this even happened where they get to this place where they get back in the boat that they sailed across on, and they now are going to experience him in a whole nother way through trust, obedience, and doubt. Before that, though, let me show you this picture. I think I've showed it before, you know, years ago. It's hard, a little hard to see, but this is what they call the Jesus boat. It's in Galilee, this little museum in, uh, in the Galilee area, we just went there, a group of us, about two months ago, two, three months ago, and I showed them this. It's a really cool thing. Uh, years ago, these two men discovered a nail, and as they dug down, because the Sea of Galilee had, had been kind of, it was drought time, and the water had, you know, uh, gone way down, they discovered this nail, and as they dig a little bit, they discover this boat that had been preserved underneath the mud, and through a very incredible restoration process, they got it to this point in this museum where that's the actual wood of this boat that they believe is 2,000 years old. Now, I'm not saying this is the boat that Jesus sailed in, but it's from that time period, and it's a typical boat for fishermen of the day. Not the boat that you see out there that some of us have sailed on the Sea of Galilee with worship music playing and this giant and engines on it, you know, hundreds of people could fit on them. It's not a boat like that. This is more accurate. 
So, and you could see in the background a little drawing on the wall of what the boat would have looked like. Super simple. There's no lower deck. There's no bunks. There's not a galley. There's not like a refrigerator with food in it. There's no life vest in there. It's very stripped down to wood and, you know, the shell and a sail. So when we read the story, imagine that in the middle of a storm, it's not what we would think of in our American minds of a typical boat. Think of all the disciples. If all 12 of them are present, all crammed in that boat with a sail and some oars. As we read, battling the wind and waves in the storm. What would it have been like if you were in that boat and had the same experience? For Jesus, if we go to the story now in Matthew 14, verse 22, he asked them, and he, he asked them, this is part of obedience. Jesus tells them to do something, and he will not be present with them, and they do it in the very beginning. He's going to go off to pray, and he's going to leave them alone to sail back across, probably about seven miles or so, back across the Sea of Galilee. And the sea could erupt in storms very quickly, the way it comes off the, the Golan and down in, and there's, there's plenty of history how these storms could happen on this giant body of water. So immediately after this, which is the feeding of the thousands, this great miracle where they discover him in a whole new light, it says immediately after that, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he left and spent and sent the people home. After sending all the people home that he had fed, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And he's up there praying. It's obviously late at night. And night falls while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the whole Gilligan's Island thing is going on, if you know that show. The disciples were in trouble, far away from land. They're probably in the middle of the sea, this giant lake. And they're in trouble because they're far away and a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. They're probably batting down the hatches. They're, you know, struggling hard in their own strength with the oars and paddles. They're probably bailing water out. You saw that boat. It's probably a nightmare for them. They're horrified and scared. And they're fighting these heavy waves and this wind. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, I mean the middle of the night, Jesus comes toward them and he's walking on the water. I mean a miracle is happening right before their eyes. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, it's probably foggy, misty, rain's coming down, waves are high. You know, all this, the winds, all, all these things are going on. It says they were terrified when they saw him. They didn't rejoice at first. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter, we know Peter seems to do this all the time. He's always talking out, ready to go. He calls and says, Lord, if it's really you, Sometimes we're in places and we're not sure where he's at, if it's him, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Jesus said, yes, come. So Peter goes over the side of the boat and he walks on the water toward Jesus. This is absolutely amazing. But, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. 
Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. He doesn't say you have no faith. He just says, you have so little faith, Peter. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples, out of that amazement, miraculous experience, worshipped him. They have a new revelation of who he is. You really are exactly who you've been saying you are. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. They have a revelation of who he is in a new way, and they worship him. Jesus uh, experiences and opens up to them something with them that's just amazing. Let's talk about that for a minute through some trust and obedience. Trust and obedience go together, remember. I don't want to separate the two. So number one, as a follower of Jesus, I would want you to know that trust and obedience are not guarantees of being spared difficulty. A lot of times we have the expectation, and expectations can really mess us up, can't they? That when I have surrendered my life to Jesus, followed and done exactly what he seems to be saying, that I will be spared any tragedy, I will be spared the wind and waves, the storms, the hard situations, the trials and temptations. I will have an expectation that because I've experienced him one way, the feeding of the 5,000, my next experience should be easy. But that is not the case. Trust and obedience are not guarantees of being spared difficulty. Do you find yourself in some trial today, some sort of hardship It seems even that God often is allowing, or do you even think this putting us into places where he has our full attention? I think sometimes the only way, and I'm not saying he always does this. I haven't figured that out, but there are times when I am in a place, God has allowed it or even put me there because he needs my full attention. Remember, it's not out of hatred, it's out of love. Ron, I love you, and so I need you to see something or someone because you're not paying attention. Wow, I find myself in more places like that than I care to count. (laughs) Does it ever feel like the disciples that you're all out in this place alone? Remember one of the things that it said is that they were out there alone. Jesus didn't seem to be present or with them. One of the things that came up this week for me with that um, was Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'm not going to have it on the screen. I'm just going to go to a couple parts in it. But think about this with me. I thought it was kind of cool because remember it says that Jesus goes off, like he sends them out in the boat, go back to the other side, and it says he goes off alone to pray. So just consider this with me. Romans 8, 31 through 39 is this whole little, little, uh, you know, almost little speech, declaration 
that says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? And he just keeps talking. Paul writes to the Romans these things. No one. God has given himself right standing for us with himself. Who can condemn us? No one. And then listen to this. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the Bible says he's interceding or pleading for us. One of the things that I'd like you to consider with me, maybe we learn this together, is there are times when I feel very alone in the middle of trial, tragedy, or some sort of turmoil, whatever it is. Some of you, great tragedy. I understand that. I would never want to downplay that. Some of you have suffered great loss. I wonder if we could consider together that the Bible tells us that when I feel alone like that, I must be reminded that Christ is at the right hand of God. It says, interceding and pleading for me. I like that story because it says that Jesus went off alone to pray, and here they are alone on the water. But maybe one of the things to consider is he's praying for them. He's interceding for them. God, they're going to go through some really tough times. Be with them, help them. Maybe it's even a declaration for us believers to do the same. We can't always be like really close and, and connected to the ones that are going through really hard struggles, but we can intercede and plead for them. So I, I really love that. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loves us. And listen, sometimes we think that we are alone and we put his love for us in the context of what we're going through. So the moment we're going through something very hard, very tragic, we declare sometimes to ourselves, God does not love me very much. That's not what he's telling us here. It says he's with us. He loves us. And then it says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. I'm convinced as a follower of Christ because I know him. So let me go back and say one of the greatest things you could do is if you're not convinced to get to know God. Get to know who he is, what he says about you. Even go to this Romans chapter 8 and read it this week. He'll go on and say, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. You know, the truth is, I don't, I care, but whoever gets into office on November 9th, God still loves me. He does. It says he's still in control. You might even go, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. If that's what your perspective is, then don't forget part two. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. I need to know God to be able to be convinced of these very things. Vote. 
Play your part, please. In no way would we say not to do that. Vote your convictions. Vote God's word. But listen to me. God's still going to be God the next day. He is my king. And so, man, it says no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So maybe today you feel alone and are broken, but there is a God who is pleading for you and interceding for you even when we don't understand why we are in the midst of what we're in the midst of. When we often don't believe that or not convinced of that, like the disciples, we will fight and struggle against the wind and waves on our own. How many of you have found yourselves really paddling hard in life and going nowhere? And again, as I said earlier, we'll try to serve more, pray more, read more, love more, do more, thinking that that will appease God and stop the storm and it doesn't work except you're just exhausted. (laughs) You feel further away from God. And if not careful, like they almost did, we can miss the very one who has been interceding for us. There are times when Jesus looks like a ghost. I can't even see through the fog of junk in my life. Is that you? Where are you? I think the world misses him sometimes. We miss him. These worries and trials and fears, man, they can cause us not to recognize him. Elections and what's going on in America. We can miss God right in the midst of turmoil and tragedy. He can seem like a figment of our imagination. Why is that? My expectations, my fear, my worry, my anger, my doubt, my trust. Why do we miss him, not recognize him, not sure if it's really him at all? But don't ever forget that in the midst of it, Jesus says these words to us as well. 2,000 years years later, do not fear. Take courage. I am here. I like that. So followers of Christ, we, you know, have this trust and obedience despite what we're going through, but also trust and obedience, their moves toward God. Peter asks for some clarity. Is it you? Now, please ask in the time of your life that you're going through for clarity. How many are always looking for clarity? Is that God or is that Taco Bell that I had last night? I don't, whatever your thing is. Is that God or is it another voice? You can ask for clarity. It's, it's tough. So sometimes you don't know. So my encouragement is always move towards God. He sees your heart and knows it. I don't pray what color of socks to put on for the day. I put socks on, right? I move, I move towards God then. Ask for clarity, yes, but you need obedience. Even if you're not quite sure that it's him, but you think it's the thing to do, take the next step. Don't go too far. Take the next step. God is very capable of shutting you down. He's strong enough. Here's where I want to challenge you a little more. These are moved towards God, and moves toward God take risk and some uncertainty. 
Peter gets out in the middle of a storm. He's not sure if he's going to get, you know, just overrun by wind and waves. It's going to take some risk. There's risk involved, and there's uncertainty involved. Not sure if this is going to come out the way I want it to. Sometimes we don't move because it doesn't meet our expectations. So we sit for 20 years. A move towards God also takes courage. You may look foolish. What do you think Peter looked like when, you know, the other 11 guys are like, what is wrong with you? That's one, a ghost telling us to do that. And two, why are you getting out of the boat with no life vest? We don't even have life vest. No rope. You got nothing. You look foolish. Some of us are going to have to look foolish, but we believe so much that it's God, we're willing to look that way to others. I'm not saying be foolish. You may just look foolish. Some of you, it's time to give up, do something different, whatever, and not everybody's going to agree with you. You may be the only one that does it. Peter doesn't ask for a vote, a list of reasons why or why not a formula, approval, a three-step program. He wasn't even fully prepared. He steps out. He's willing to look foolish through uncertainty and risk. Maybe Peter figured he was safer out of the boat with Jesus than in the boat without him. That's a good thought. So think about that with me. Stepping out, you know, like I said earlier, Skydive and zip line and bungee, those things can be risky, some uncertainty. But man, how fun was it for you that did that? Or horrifying. <laughs> but it comes from a desire to be with Jesus. I want to be a man that wants to be with Jesus so much that I'm willing to look foolish, take some risks. Um, I got a long way to go. Why don't we do that? There's probably many reasons. One, I, expectations, I said. Fear, we're afraid of what might happen. Fear causes us to freeze. It blinds us to who Jesus and God is. We see a ghost. Don't let fear control you. Let it drive you to God who says, fear not. Sometimes I think that we need to put ourselves in places where God has to constantly say, fear not. Hey, Ron, fear not. It's me, Come. Sometimes we don't move because it's comfort. The boat is our place of safety and security. What is your boat? Is there some place of comfort or security that you feel and you're afraid to step out, but it's comfortable here, even though you're in the midst of a storm and you're struggling and paddling hard hasn't worked? Do you have some place of comfort like that? Sometimes we don't move because of certainty. We may want or need some clarity but we cannot guarantee certainty. I like what John Ortbrick said. At its core, faith is not simply the belief in a statement. It's put, it puts trust in a person. It's Jesus. We all think that we want certainty, but we don't. What we really want is trust, wisely placed. Trust is better than certainty because it honors the freedom of persons and makes possible growth and intimacy that certainty alone could never produce. There could be no intimacy without trust. So maybe you want certainty. I got to know how this is going to work out, what it's going to do for me, what it's going to look like before I move. 
that is not usually the way of God. The best certainty I have is found right here. And then I read things that Paul and others write and go, here, I'll give you something certain. I know that what awaits me is death, but I'm going to Rome. <laughs> what? That's not, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, there's other things. And what awaits you? Sometimes we don't move because of failure. We're afraid to fail. I understand that. I don't think Peter was a failure in the eyes of Jesus. He didn't say he had no faith. He just said he had little faith. I, you could say maybe the bigger failure was sitting in the boat. You will fail, but you will not be alone. Jesus is with you. We are here with you. Jesus will not abandon you. He's interceding for you. And listen, even that little move, even if you fail, I think you moved a little closer to him than you were before. I really do. I think uh, many of you won't know this show, but the wide, uh, wide world of sports, you remember that? Like that great intro they had? Like the dude that I can never get out of my mind is that skiing dude that tumbles, you know? <laughs> the thrill of victory and the what? And agony. Oh, agony, yes. You got to watch it. it. We're like that, aren't we? Face everything just filled like fail videos, jumping on, you know, just, we just get sucked into them to taste the thrill of victory. We must be willing to go through the agony of defeat sometimes. We're going to fail. We all are. But trusted obedience, you know, it's going to put us into those places. Also, trust and obedience, it requires fixed vision. So in this story, a lack of trust can blur our vision. We lose focus. When Peter sees the wind and the waves, he sinks, and he realizes, wow, I'm doing something that I can't do, and he begins to sink. The moment our eyes become fixed on ourselves and not Jesus is the moment we begin to find ourselves sinking and struggling. How I see Jesus, so we go back to this again, knowing God, how I see Jesus, I've repeated this for years in different teachings, but it's so important, it's part of just Man, our, our culture now, I think, and I want to become more. How I see Jesus determines, I won't list everything, but it's how I see everything. You, the church, God himself. How I see Jesus is so important. Get to know him. Maybe the problem was not only how Peter saw Jesus, but maybe even how he saw himself. The moment, again, he thought he was doing it, he sank. We must keep our eyes on Christ. How do we do that? I'm not going through a list, but one, we do it through others, all right? And two, maybe the spiritual disciplines that redirect me back to him. There are times when I read his word, I pray, not because I think he's going to love me more, but because I want to get to know him. And one of the things it does is it redirects me back to him. My eyes get fixed on myself or something else, and suddenly you, other people, a teaching, God's word, silence, solitude, prayer, whatever, it redirects me back towards him. Oh, man, that's the one who loves me. I forgot that. What am I doing here? It brings me back towards him. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, many of us know this, this one line in there. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Strip everything else off. 
the sin everything, run with endurance. How? Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. And in this, storms become a greater pathway to a greater revelation of a greater God, who he is and where I need him. And I need him like that. He is revealing to the disciples and to me constantly, I am, and put whatever in the blank, your provider, your sustainer, your strength. Ron, I am trustworthy. Now here's one thing before I just give you a few things to respond to, to this, today and this week. Listen, one of the things in here is we can get burdened down with a lack of trust. So some of you right now are going, great, I don't trust or obey God. I'm, I'm jacked up. What, what, do, you know, what do I do? What's wrong with me? Whatever. Well, there might be something wrong with you. I don't know. But, <laughs> but lack of trust does not mean lack of compassion from God. Jesus says to him, hey, Peter, come on out. Even in the midst of the storm, you would have thought the best idea would have been calm the storm first. That's me. Then I'll come out. It doesn't stop, it says, till Jesus gets back in the boat. Okay, but what I see in the midst of this is Peter stepping out, and then he's, he's going for a minute. I don't know how many steps he takes. He's doing it until the moment he realizes that, or he thinks he's doing it. And then he loses it all, and he begins to sink, and he cries out, help me, Jesus. Jesus doesn't just go, sorry, dude, you blew it, all right? Swim back to the boat. I'm getting in. I want to stay dry. I'm good right here, right? It says that Jesus reaches out a hand and grabs him. Hey, folks, in the midst of your lack of trust, you have a compassionate, loving father who cares for you. Jesus rescues us, reaches out a hand. And in that, and all through this, the Jesus they saw in the water was much bigger than they ever imagined. He was revealed to them in a new way. They got to know him even more. They discover more about who he really is in the storm. You are the son of God, they declare. And they worship him and, uh, and are in awe of him. These things actually at times reveal more of who he is and create in us wonder and worship. May we embrace him that way today. The worship team's coming up to wrap up, to have some communion, and then we'll go. John 14, 1 says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Hey, folks, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. That comes from knowing him. So what do we do this week? today even. Here's some things to practice. One, get to know God. Told you that many times already. Get to know God. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 16, we know, there, we know, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. We know. Get to know him. Do you know him? Two, reflect, and you could even do this in communion if you'd like, the second thing is just reflect back this week, today maybe, on times when God has proven himself trustworthy to you. Look back at times. Your experience with him in the past, 
Has he shown up? Has he helped you? Have you seen him active and working? Has he ever answered any prayers, comforted you, strengthened you? Has he showed up in the good, bad, and ugly? And in it, maybe reflect then, is he trustworthy? So get to know God, read some of his word, talk to others about him, reflect back on times when God has proven himself trustworthy to you. And then the last thing to think about is this. Put yourself in positions where you need to trust God. Maybe even this. When you feel him leading, just put yourself in a position where maybe even he has to say, hey, fear not. I am with you. It could be talking to someone, going somewhere, stepping out in faith in some way. To walk on water, Ortberg always says you got to get out of the boat. Take the next step toward Jesus, he's already taken the first step. The first step really is, is really him showing up on earth. You could even say he's taken more steps to or, towards us than we can ever catch up with. Hey, listen, communion today, he took a step towards us even as sinners. Put yourself in positions where you need to trust God. Every time you do, maybe it'll get a little bit easier Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Please, this week, don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Ask for clarity and courage, but don't expect certainty. So where do you need to trust him? Is there some place of fear to invite him into? Comfort? Uncertainty? Again, this election time, is it some aspect of failure? Invite him into those places where you lack trust. As we take communion today, we're really trusting in something. It's in him that he died for our sins. We trust that he took care of those sins cleansed us from all unrighteousness. So when you take communion today, please know that it's an act of trust. It's a declaration of identity, who he is, what he's done, and who you are. You are my savior. You are the one who died for my sins. You are God that I've chosen to follow. You've taken care of my sin by your death. And so that juice represents his blood, that that bread represents his body, and you are declaring, I trust in that, that it's cleansed me from all unrighteousness. I am declaring that I trust that when you say I'm a child of God and I'm clean before you because of what you've done, not because of my own struggle and work, but because of what you've done, I trust that you forgive me, that you declare that I'm righteous. That's what communion is today for us, an act of trust, because he's trustworthy in that. And he says, we'll reflect on this. Maybe you can leave it up till we, we sing. And I'm going to dismiss you to get communion, come back, just take a little time of reflection, think about those things. But John 16, says this. I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this and some of you go, amen to that godless world. <laughs> you will continue to experience difficulties. But Journey Church, take heart. I 
have conquered the world. He's conquered sin today. And so, Father, today we declare that you are the conqueror of the world and of sin. We take communion in a moment to declare that you are the righteous one who, take, who has taken care of our unrighteousness. Through your blood and body, the symbolic little cup of juice and cracker that we take represents what you've done. You have proven yourself trustworthy by taking care of our sin, declaring that we are righteous because of what you've done and that we are your children. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.